You are listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 605 for November 2nd, 2022. On this episode, drummer Terry Lynn Carrington. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the monthly Patreon bonus show on which I ask that month's guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that's bringing them joy. Terry Lynn talks about a sport and the surprising people against whom she's played it. You can hear that bonus episode by becoming a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the show, a thank you from me on an episode, and occasional behind-the-scenes info or other bonus material. Hey, do me a favor if you would and share this podcast on your social media. It is the best way to help the show grow. Terry Lynn Carrington has two new albums, a book, and a museum exhibit out now. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Here's a track from New Standards, Volume 1. Lynn Carrington, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. Uh, we are talking about a, a whole constellation of things. There's a, a book called New Standards. There's an album called New Standards, Volume 1. And running through November 27th, there is an exhibit and activities at the Car Center in Detroit. Uh, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Um, I'd like to start, if we could, just a little bit further back with the origin story of this project, and in particular with your founding of uh, Berkeley's Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice and the Jazz Without Patriarchy Project. Would you mind just talking about those things? Sure. Well, uh, about 2018, I guess it was, I started the Institute and it was basically to create a space at Berkeley for women and non-binary musicians to be able to relax and learn the music without, uh, you know, feeling kind of some of the extra burdens they may feel in your average jazz classroom. And uh, so they could really be their authentic selves and uh, hopefully dive into the music uh, with support around them. 
And uh, the first initiative was new standards because at the opening of the Institute uh, event, we had some students play and I asked them to play some songs written by women. And when they went to the real book, they had a hard time finding any. And they, they found Willow Weep for Me by Anne Ronell. And I know some real books have, uh, you know, there's so many different additions to real books. I know some have some other songs by women. I know Carmen Lundy has a couple of songs in later editions and also Carla Blay. But for the most part, uh, when you're looking at the standard jazz canon, uh, so to say, we, we have a void. So that became the first initiative to create a collection um, of songs written by women and non-binary composers, um, just so that people don't have to look so hard if that's what they're looking for. So how did you go about creating that collection? And I'm curious whether um, you noticed, you know, any, any gaps in your own knowledge as people who were new to you as you were putting it uh, together. Just the whole process really fascinates me. Oh, yes. I, I looked for people I didn't know because I didn't want to just have people I knew. Um, though it was fairly easy for me to make a, a list of people that you know, really created a decent variety um, st stylistically of composers. Um, I, I, th I thought about European uh, women composers and musicians that I had worked with. I thought about South American. I thought about just classic songs of, of people from back in the day. So we have like Lil Hard and Armstrong with the oldest song in the book. Um, and I thought about emerging artists. So I pretty much could come up with a hundred myself, but I also asked for some suggestions of people. And I did run across a few people that I hadn't heard of. Sarah Cassie is one. She's somebody that wrote back in the fifties. Uh, I think she died in the sixties, but her song Windflower um, had been recorded by Herb Ellis and Hank Jones and probably some other people. I don't know. Those are the two versions I've heard. Uh, so I did an arrangement of that on the album that's quite different from uh, what their versions were. Actually, I didn't do the arrangement, but I, I asked um, great vibe Simon Moulier to do an arrangement. Then I asked, you know, some people, like I wanted to include some Canadian musicians, uh, even though I had a couple already. Um, I just felt like there's a scene going on up there that I don't really know about. You know, I asked uh, Chris Davis, some of the people that she might recommend. We found some people that I felt deserved wider recognition. And we have some people, of course, like Abby Lincoln, and people that everybody knows. Cause when you think you've lost, you've won 
I'm curious uh, if you have any stories about how some of the living musicians that you've included reacted to their inclusion or to even finding out that this was a thing you were doing. Well, I think overall, and now that it's come out, I think overall the feedback from the people that are included is really positive. Uh, and some people have said they didn't realize there was such a void, you know, because we just keep doing the work, you know, we just keep creating and doing what we need to and not really thinking about uh, representation all the time. So I think that a lot of the artists in the book feel grateful that the book exists and uh, of course to have been included. The problem is there's so many <laughs> that I that were not included, <laughs> you know, that I, I could, you know, immediately do another one, but uh, have to take a pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I mean, obviously I run in particular circles on social media, but I really can't remember seeing anything being shared as many times in recent memory as as this book. Um, it just the the kind of outpouring of love for it. And I think the light that it turned on in a lot of people's minds about you know, who, who's in the canon that we play. I, and I include myself in that list. I just, I've been, I've been really uh, excited to see the outpouring of, of love and support and excitement uh, about this book all over the place on social media. Well, thank you. Uh, Me too. I didn't expect it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As I said, you know, we just keep doing the work and hope that it matters. And uh, honestly, I totally did not, expect uh, this type of response. The first print run was sold out in less than a week, um, which also says that uh, the publishers didn't print enough. (laughs) You know, it says that their expectation was not high enough. (laughs) Yeah, I I tend to think that this volume is uh, going to be instructional for people in the uh, music publishing industry, as well as people who play the music. Uh, and I think that's a good thing too. Mm. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, and we will, uh, we'll come to the, to the new standards album in, in a minute here, but uh, you mentioned earlier at Berkeley creating an environment where women and non-binary folks um, can feel more comfortable. And I, I would just love to hear more about that. What, what kinds of structures have you set up uh, to make that possible? I think it's not even structures that I've set up. It's just creating the space. There's a lot in the name and creating the space where you know that your voice is heard. um, It's not like there's something really different structurally other than we try to keep keep it populated no more than 50% male um, so that, you know, it's, it's not, taken over basically by men, which is very easy to do in jazz because there's so many more men that play the music. Um, But the thing that's great is that any uh, young men that come to the Institute that want to be in it are already thinking that way. Um, They're already maybe even tired of the kind of masculinity that they've had to kind of adhere to or, or perform based on the, the culture. And there are quite a few young men that are 
rejecting that. And whether they go as far to be non-binary or not, they're, they're rejecting a certain kind of masculinity. I'm amazed just, you know, how this, all of this is changing. Like so, so many young men wear fingernail polish, for instance. And, you know, I don't see that as much just in regular jazz culture. Though, of course, I see it a lot more in, in rock bands and you know, other, other music forms. A couple of years ago on the show, I did a whole season where all of the guests were um, women and non-binary folks. And mm-hmm. I did not announce that that's what I was doing. I just booked a whole uh, 10 months of weekly episodes where that was the case. And then at the very end, after it was all finished, I just made kind of a collage of all of the artwork from every episode and wrote, you know, this whole past season has been women and non-binary folks. And the it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to do like a magic trick or something. It was just to show that A, it can be done and B, that if I did it during the course of it, no one would even notice. And mm-hmm. like, it would just be, these are just musicians that I'm presenting to you. And mm-hmm. if I don't tell you it's a thing week to week, you'll just think, oh, here's another cool interview with a musician I may or may not know. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I can say, okay, and look, all of these people exist. And it's important that we recognize that that is the case. And this is not to give my uh, self any kudos, but I was really gratified at how many people said, you know, I just, I hadn't really thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a, at a much larger scale, this project that you're engaged in is, is just causing some of these same conversations to happen and kind of in a, in a not dissimilar way, like just saying this, this wealth of, of music and musicians exists. And that's such an important first step in getting people to listen uh, to mm-hmm. music created by women and by non-binary people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, thank you for, you know, doing what you did. Uh, and I agree. It's something that doesn't always have to even be announced. You know, it's just something that that we do. Um, you know, when we look back over the history of racial justice, it wasn't, you know, it, it well it evolved into something that ne- not necessarily needs to be announced. <laughs> You know, when you have racial equity or racial equality or or thinking in those terms, um, it should kind of just hopefully come natural. Uh, so I, I can't wait, actually, until these conversations aren't so front and center, because hopefully that will mean that real changes happened. And I just want to be clear, especially speaking as I am as a cis straight white man, that I don't mean that we shouldn't be explicitly confronting these problems. I, I don't I, I didn't mean to paint the picture that way. Uh, I just mean that there there are other ways as well. Uh, but sometimes yeah. we do have to, especially people in my position, we have to explicitly speak up sure. about things that are going wrong. I don't want to take the responsibility off, you know straight white men in jazz to uh, recognize where we're screwing up and to do things better. Yeah, no, I didn't take it that way. Um, I just feel like that is the goal ultimately to to not have to point to it because that means it's actually happening and um, we can move on to other things. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Like if we didn't have this or racial justice, look, look at the energy that could be spent in making the world more beautiful. Yeah, we'd be uh, exploring the stars. At this yeah, point, or we'd all be focused to... maybe on environmental justice. <laughs> yes, you know. absolutely. Stopping the world from collapsing. 
Let's take a quick break from the interview for a reminder about the Patreon. Members of the Jazz Session get a bonus show each month called This I Dig of You. The guest from the main episode talks about something non-musical that's bringing them joy, and this one is great. Uh, Terry Lynn talks about a sport that she plays and also the fairly surprising situations in which she has found herself playing it against some people whose names you'll know. It's it's pretty great. So check that out. You can go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member today. Starting with this episode, I'm going to be thanking members of the Patreon community in chronological order of the date they joined, starting at the beginning, which means our first three are Richard Kamens, Chandra, and Terry Hinty. You all rock. Or swing. Or whatever. But anyway, thank you. You're great. Now back to the episode. talked about the book which is called new standards and then there is an album called new standards volume one which unsurprisingly takes music from the book and performs it with chris davis linda mahon O, nicholas payton all of whom have been on the jazz session so you can look in the archives for those and also matthew stevens who is the co-producer as well as playing guitar and then there are a dozen different guest musicians so you you created this big body of work and then an album is only so long can you talk about the the process of figuring out which things to feature on this volume one well, it's funny. I just kind of go with whatever hits me. And I just pick songs that, well, one, that I felt would make a nice collection. And two, songs that um, songs that really pointed to the variety of, of styles within jazz on the record. So you can have a Marilyn Crispel song like Rounds, but also a Brandy Younger song like Respect a Destroyer and a classic song like Throw It Away. So I just wanted to figure out a way to to have that kind of variety, but still make it sound like one cohesive project. Yeah, I'm glad you used that word variety, because as I was listening to this album the first time, I was thinking, you know, boy, if someone wants to hear like the breadth of music that is composed by women in the world of improvised music. This album is an incredible introduction because, uh, as you say, it spans such a variety of music. It certainly does sound cohesive, and that's, of course, helped by the fact that there's a core band at the center of it. But from track to track, we're just we're taken on a on a real journey. It is a it's an incredibly wide ranging look at some of the music presented in the book. And I I really think I mean, I just think that's a fabulous, a fabulous thing and kind of an amazing thing, you know, over the course of one record to hear as much different music as we hear on this. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate that because the people 
I think always, well, since I was in my 20s, maybe it chilled out a bit, but people definitely have criticized me for being all over the place. And that's just, you know, who I've always been. And I think in later years, maybe I've figured out better how to present that part of me that's all over the place, present it in a way that feels more cohesive. So I appreciate uh, what you said. And that, you know, it's the goal to hopefully not do something that felt like, you know, just pulling from all these places and, you know, that didn't make sense. Looked at positively, which is how I look at that concept of all over the place. Can you point to what it is that kind of causes you, your output to be that way? Are you just, you're just interested in so many things that it's kind of hard to limit yourself? Well, yeah, I think I grew up in a time period, you know, the beginning of, you know, that era where we just liked everything and we really decided to play everything. I feel like you know, earlier on, you know, you were a jazz musician or you were a classical musician or you were, you know, a blues musician. And I mean, we still have those categories and we still have those subcultures. But the good thing that happened when the rec- record industry collapsed is that um, people had to stop putting their own music out and everybody's pretty much an independent artist these days. And that allowed us to to shape our the eclectic parts of us that want to do different things, you know, to, to shape it all into whatever we feel is um, a statement. And most musicians I know are not narrow-minded musically and really have these various influences. And now it's almost just common uh, to hear these other musical influences within jazz. And I think it made jazz a lot more fertile when somebody wasn't necessarily deciding or defining what jazz is. So I think that, uh, I think I was doing that, you know, pretty much from the beginning in my own way and everybody does it in their own way. But I think that it wasn't as accepted in the beginning and now it's a little more accepted. Yeah, I, I so agree with that. I uh, I often say to friends that I think this is the greatest time so far to be alive if you're a fan of music, because as uh, we haven't figured out the necessarily the economics of it, but that is largely because we live under capitalism. That's not because there's not a way to figure out the economics of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I really do think like if the 
everything is at my fingertips now, as opposed to when I was becoming a music fan in the 70s and 80s. And it was hard to even find out that artists existed, let alone get a hold of their music. And uh, those artists, as you just suggested, were often managed by labels. And, you know, certainly there are downsides, I guess, of the way things are now. Maybe just saturation is the only one I can think of. But as a music fan, it just seems like everything is available. And from the musicians that I talk to, I get the sense that it, uh, at least to some degree, it, it feels that way as a musician too. That that just the many more doors are open in terms of crossing over genres and and concepts than than used to be the case. And it sounds like it sounds like that's what you're feeling as well. Yeah, I, I just always have, you know, been well. I've been saying, you know, in the last I don't know five to ten years. Uh, well, probably more like 10 years, that this is a very fertile time. And yeah, so I agree with what you said. It's a great time to be alive and experience um, creative music. And um, I, there's so much room to grow and to develop as an artist. And there's so much out there to pull from. Uh, you know, there's more uh, multidisciplinary work going on. Um, people are not looking at their art as being one dimensional, um, a lot more collaboration. Um, it's kind of like a Renaissance time um, for creative musicians. Uh, so I'm just happy to, to be experiencing it and um, happy that things are opening up that way because I think we have to draw inspiration from other areas and you know, we just can't be on this track in jazz that's heavily, that has been heavily defined by the past. And because um, during the, you know, in the past, it wasn't the past, right? <laughs> when the music was being created, it was the future. <laughs> but it was the present. And, you know, they were thinking about the future, maybe not all in the way that I would like for them to have, because <laughs> it definitely wasn't so much a uh, thought about uh, gender equity, whereas there was a lot of thought about uh, racial justice as a whole. But yeah, I just feel like everything is wide open right now. Um, and even like if you look at uh, what's happening in the TV and film world, there's just so much, there's so much to choose from. You can, you know, before, you know, we had three stations or, you know, plus PBS. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I mean, it's crazy, right? So how much work has generated and creative energy has generated from having uh, all of these choices. It's amazing. And, and all this stuff needs music too. So lots, lots more uh, work in, in that field, in the, that visual field uh, for musicians as well. Yeah. I grew up as a, as a comic book and, and sci-fi fan. And I, if you had told young Jason in like the early eighties, that one day there would be so many science fiction shows and movies and so many comic book based shows and movies that you really wouldn't have time to watch them all. I would have thought you were describing some future paradise. And it is kind of amazing <laughs> that we're like in that world now where there's stuff I haven't seen that young me wouldn't have even believed anyone would ever make. And now I just like, well, I don't, I'll get around to it if I can, but there's just, so much it's it's pretty cool in a lot of ways yeah no it's amazing uh it's amazing so that's was... the good part about technology right because yes you know we can also you know bellyache about technology and what it's doing to some of <laughs> so, you know just how it's changing people you know addicted to their smartphones 
But the good part is it's given us a lot of choices. Yes, I, I agree. We mentioned that this is a multifaceted project, New Standard. So we talked about the book and we even talked about its origins at Berkeley, talking about the record. And there is also at this point uh, through the end of November, through November 27th, an exhibit at the Car Center in Detroit. Can you just tell me something about that? Uh, sure. Uh, I wanted to put together, well, I've been trying and thinking over the years about how to collaborate with artists, a visual artist, um, just people that are creative in other fields. And I wanted to do more multidisciplinary work and received a grant from Doris Duke. It's called their Creative Inflections Grant. And you had to partner with a presenter. And since I was already artistic director for the Car Center, they made the most sense to partner with uh, for this grant. And it was basically to be able to put together something multidisciplinary for, for someone like myself that hadn't done a lot of that. Uh, so that was the point of the grant. And they, they funded, I don't know, maybe a half dozen people uh, to do this kind of work. For me, it's been now almost two years of planning and I'm just so happy that we were able to do it. And what's happening at the car center is one quarter of the full installation that um, I've conceived of. So this quarter is new standards, which made sense uh, to do first because we were having trouble finding a place that would take the whole thing. Uh, Cause it's, it's a lot of, we designed it, but there's, you know, it's going to take a lot of space to do it. So the car center was opening a new performance studio space and it happened to be the size that was perfect for just a quarter of this. And so we started with new standards and the other three sections <clears throat> are called uh, invisible labor. And that I, I wrote a piece called seen unseen that uh, I, I did uh, at MIT. And it was like, I don't know, hundred people playing this piece um, as part of a pr presentation. MIT did call it Must Be Now that featured music by Sean Jones, Braxton Cook, and myself. And I enlisted Micheline Thomas, a visual artist, to collaborate on that piece. Um, so she did images that uh, were like coming, like almost like live VJing. Um, so like a DJ spins music, a VJ spins images. And so she did it live to the piece being performed. 
So we're working on a short film uh, about that. Each of the four sections has a short film. And uh, there's another one I did, uh, another uh, idea called The Female and Non-Binary Gaze. And Carrie Mae Weems is collaborating on a film uh, for that. And uh, basically it's just looking you know, at this issue of jazz without patriarchy as a larger, uh, broader uh, umbrella of this whole thing which we call the Jazz Without Patriarchy Project, though the entire exhibit is called Shifting the Narrative, Jazz and Gender Justice. And then within that, the four sections would be the female non-binary gates, as well as new standards, as well as invisible labor. And the fourth part is Mary Lou Williams and Jerry Allen in conversation. So the fourth part is just dedicated to the two of them. And I wrote a script of, a, of an imaginary conversation uh, because they, you know, they didn't have it. So this will be played out and acted. Yeah. So I'm looking, looking forward to it because it's brought me into basically collaborating with folks on making short films. As part of the Jazz Without Patriarchy project, I also wrote uh, a children's illustrated poem. It's just come out in, in September, end of September as well. And it's called Three of a Kind, which people can get on Amazon. It's about uh, Jerry Allen and Esperanza and myself and how we started off as young girls um, trying to play this music and how you know we developed into a trio. And it's a short children's book. So I'm really proud of that. So <laughs> it's funny, I had two books come out the same week, the New Standards <laughs> yeah, and Three of a Kind. You sound like one of those people who doesn't believe firmly in sleep. Everybody says that, and I'm really trying to not be that person. Um, so I'm going to have to change things so that people start to notice that I'm sleeping. I don't want <laughs> Actually, yeah. as a prophecy. You know, like <laughs> you need to do a week of social media posts that just are going to bed now or something yeah, like that. So, thank yeah, you. For that folks, idea. folks believe it. Yeah. Well, uh, we're drawing to a close here, but uh, I will definitely get comments if I don't. You, you just mentioned that you had two books that came out, but you also had two albums uh, that came out. And I haven't even mentioned the other one. So we're going to do that now mm -hmm. uh, so that people don't think I didn't notice. Uh, it's called Live at the Detroit Jazz Festival. It features an amazing lineup. So we're obviously this interview. We mostly focused on new standards, but I would like to mm -hmm. just close with this. Can you just talk about uh, the band and this recording? Well, Wayne Shorter, um, he was a resident artist. I'm not sure if they, what they call it, but uh, uh, not uh, art, not resident artistic director, but um, artist in residence at the Detroit Jazz Festival in 2017. And one of the nights was to feature this trio I just mentioned with Jerry Allen and Esperanza and myself with Wayne. Unfortunately, Jerry passed in June of that year. And the festival was um, in September. So Leo Genovese ended up playing with us. He's a longtime collaborator with Esperanza. If we just got together that day, ran a few heads in, you know, in the hotel, at the hotel and played a concert and it just felt pretty magical. And I remember after the concert, we all just went to eat and looked at each other and, we all felt that it was, you know, spe a special coming together. 
we all know each other so well. So I think the way I see it is, you know, we prepared for that, not by the little short rehearsal, but just uh, through our lifetime of, of knowing each other and collaborating and working together and loving each other as human beings. So uh, I think all of that came out somehow that night. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that we were able to put it out. My guest is Terry Lynn Carrington. Uh, she has uh, just in the last uh, month or two, two books, two albums and a museum exhibit that also includes a bunch of short films she collaborated on and some scripts and uh, who knows what else. So I assume there'll be a building she designs soon and a rocket ship. And it's been uh, it's been such a joy to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks to my guest this month, Terry Lynn Carrington. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can send me a note for more info about Sarah, Jason at the jazzsession.com. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at JazzSesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and now TikTok at The Jazz Session. Do me a favor, take a second to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or in the app where you listen to it. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. And if you value what you just heard, become a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.